My name is Ryan and you're listening to The Vegan Report. If you are an ethical vegan and you care to do more to end animal abuse, then this podcast is for you. Every Tuesday, discover passionate, thought-provoking and inspiring vegan leaders from all walks of life who will inspire you to take actions. Today, I want you to imagine being able to shop for every vegan product you like on one website and the shipping is free. Well, that is the whole concept of Market 57, or in French, Marché 57, an initiative that is making being vegan very easy. And the easier it is to be vegan, the more people can be vegan for the end of animal exploitation. When I first heard about uh, Market 57, I thought, I guess this is one more creative way to advance animal rights. We don't often think about vegan entrepreneurs as part of the effort to end animal abuse, but I think they play a key role in that fight. So for this episode, I have with me Tamar Penoshin, who is behind the Market 57 website. Tamar, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Tama, in addition of Market 57, you have your own line of delicious uh, delicious vegan food. So you have mm-hmm. the website with all the vegan products from so many different brands. But yeah. you yourself make vegan products and sell them on your website. And your vegan food line is called Vegan 57. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a clear um, summary of your business situation? Yes, it is. Uh, we first started about 10 years ago with 57 cows. That's what it was called initially. And uh, it was just a vegan restaurant. In the beginning, my mom and I were changing our diet. We were eating less and less animal products. And 10 years ago in Laval, when we used to go out to eat something quick to grab and go, vegan uh, items were not very popular in restaurants. So the best bet would be a vegan burger from Harvey's if we had went out at night. And at that time, my mom had a fully Middle Eastern restaurant in Laval, and she didn't want to sell meat anymore. So we decided that we were going to change the restaurant. We were going to change the menu. And initially, we started a vegetarian menu. So we had uh, falafel sandwiches in the style of a Mexican burrito with salsa and corn and everything. We had a Greek uh, falafel sandwich, which had a tzatziki-like sauce. And then we had the traditional, of course. And we were called 57 cows because each one of the falafel balls, the regular ones, was 57 calories. So when we discovered that, we said it was cute to name our restaurant that way. Um, and it was vegetarian. I say vegetarian because we used to have, let's say, the Greek sauce, we used to have it with um, the vegetarian version and we used to have the vegan version without the real yogurt so after some time we had a lot of vegans who used to come to our restaurant and they would ask us why have two options when you could have the same delicious sauce and vegan only and of course it made sense to not have both versions of one sauce available but to have one vegan version And of course, because the menu was only falafel based, we thought, well, we don't want to eat falafel every day. And I'm sure the customers don't. So why don't we expand the menu? And we expanded the menu. We added uh, vegan versions of shawarma plates, shish plates. So 
um, simile meat and simile chicken plates and sandwiches, like a Philly cheesesteak sandwich, but completely vegan with vegan cheese, vegan TVP, seasoned like beef. And we called ourselves 57 Vegan because it no longer made sense to just refer to the falafels. Mm. That's how our journey started uh, with 57 Vegan. After some time, uh, about three years in, we our, our restaurant was very, very small. So when people used to come in, you know, we had like three tables, very small. It was mostly a takeout counter. And it, it began to bother people, of course. People would come all the way from downtown, make the trip to Laval, and there would be no place to sit or to hang out. So um, it, it started fading away, the, the restaurant part of it, of course. But we were still popular. People used to talk about us. They used to order catering a lot. And we decided that, well, if if we were to expand, what was the best way to get our product in the hands of a bigger audience, let's say? And while going to the grocery store, while walking down the ready-to-eat counter, we noticed that there is a lack of good vegan sandwiches <laughs> ready to eat. So we decided to try our luck. We wrapped up our sandwiches, made our little stickers, put our brand on the sandwiches and went out to try to sell. And the rest was history. That's how it all started. We began our journey of distribution. We started distributing in grocery stores around town and we decided to close the restaurant and just concentrate on that, concentrate on getting all our products out in grocery stores so that we could be closer to the customer instead of annoying them with our very small restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, what does your uh, line of products look like nowadays? We have a range of six vegan ready-to-eat sandwiches. We have uh, one of them is a breakfast sandwich. It's like um, a tofu-based scrambled egg sandwich. We have the shawarma and the shish tauk, traditional tastes, but all vegan. We have a baked falafel sandwich. We have Philly cheese sandwich and a quesadilla with refried beans. We also, it's been two years now, we've packed up our protein. We marinate our own protein, of course. So we packed it up and packaged them and we sell our protein frozen. So it's pre-marinated, ready to eat. You just have to heat it up in a skillet or in the oven and you just add it to your menu, to your recipes. We also have vegan baklavas and, of course, the sauces that we make, like the, the garlic sauce, the smoky mayo, spicy mayo. We sell all of those. And how did the website part appear? You mean Marche 57? Yes. Um, before the pandemic, I had 57 Vegan and it was an e-commerce website, too, even though we were, you know, distributing in grocery stores. But with the pandemic, uh we noticed that our friends in the business who had small businesses like us and did not necessarily have an e-commerce website were having, of course, trouble getting to customers. And because people were told not to leave their houses and try to order everything online, we decided that we were going to try to help our customers and try to help our friends in business by making a website. Actually, it was all on our website. It was on our own brand's website, com. We started to add their products. And word was getting out, and more people wanted to add their items on our website. And uh, I was trying to send suppliers to the, to the website to distribute my own brand, but they were going and seeing other brands too. So it was becoming a little confusing. 
I decided to make a separate website, call it Marche Saint Concept, to keep, you know, track of um, it belonging to us as well. And um, that's how it grew. Marche Saint Concept started that way in the hopes of helping our customers and our friends. And then slowly, slowly it grew. Um, we contacted other distributors who used to sell vegan products. And that's how we decided that we're going to try to see where it goes, add as many vegan products as we can to make it a website where, you know, anybody who is trying to be vegan, anybody who is trying to change their habits, they don't have to second guess, you know, is this vegan? Is this not? Everything on the website is vegan. It's only vegan. We try to get stuff from local uh, businesses, of course. That was the aim. First of all, we were going to help the local businesses and other brands as well. Yeah, I think you uh, distribute uh, Beyond Meat products, yes. for, for example. And what I like about this concept is I have my list of vegan products and often I have to go and visit different uh, mm -hmm. shops in order to get them. But on your yep. website, they're all in the same place. So I can just uh, fill my, um, what's it called? My basket, my you know online basket with mm -hmm. all of those products in one, you know, uh, um, shopping spree uh, instead yeah. of going to different places. And so I love um, that part of it. And I love that I don't have to move. <laughs> I don't yeah. have to go out of the house. <laughs> Yes, you don't. We deliver. But that's, for me, that's magic. You know, delivering mm -hmm. food. I understand delivering, you know, products that don't need um, to, to be kept uh, frozen or something like that. But delivering food, that is, I feel like, a whole other ball game. So can you describe how you uh, deliver food? What is the, the art wow. of delivering food to people? Oh, that dilemma started with uh, Saint Concept Vegan when we started distributing. And of course, we need to get everything to the stores, refrigerated. Uh, you know, MAPAC has strict rules about that. And of course, we want our stuff to stay fresh and uh, top quality while we deliver. So we started saying, okay, we don't have enough volume to have a big truck yet, but there are no small cars with refrigeration systems or we tried calling so many different companies who do the refrigeration for trucks. Every time we used to tell them, okay, what if we buy a Dodge Caravan or something small? Can you turn it into a fridge for us? And they would <laughs> laugh at us like, are you crazy? You know, why would you do that even? But we, we were small, you know, we couldn't afford a truck and we didn't need it. So while I was looking for a car, you know, trying to see what we could possibly use, I came across the Kia Soul. And the Kia Soul has an electric version. <laughs> And the cargo space is fairly big. So I was discussing it with my business partners. And we're like, okay, let's give it a try. Let's go see it. Let's go see the car. We went to see the car. And like I said, the cargo space is fairly big. We decided we were going to take off the back seat as well. So we bought the car. And then the challenge was how to actually refrigerate this car. Um, I had seen online while researching that there is the container company. And essentially, they make containers, big containers with a refrigeration system in it. And we ordered one. It cost very expensive. And when it came, it was extremely, extremely small. <laughs> so small. We couldn't even get three boxes in it. I guess we made a mistake with the measurements. <laughs> so because my uncle and my dad are very creative and very handy, 
we put that container apart. We used the system, the cooling system, and we built our own box custom and behind the Kia. And like that, we had a custom refrigerated car, electric, everything electric. So that kind of um, completed our Saint Concept Vegan's vision of, okay, vegan business, I guess vegan car, if you can call it <laughs> vegan, because it was all electric. And that's how we started to deliver our products fresh. You know, it stayed cold and good uh, with good quality. And then with Masha Saint Concept, that's just what followed. You know, we had to get all the products to the customer fresh. So we would pack it and put it in the car, uh, join it on the um, delivery route of the day. And that's how it is. Of course, it's a lot of logistics. I have to plan, okay, which postal codes can go on which route on which day. Um, it's a challenge to set up a website that way as well, because I am not a programmer. I do not know how to make a website. I've learned everything on the go. <laughs> so that's uh, how entrepreneurship is. You can't say, I don't know. You have to say, how do I figure it out? And we, we did a lot of figuring out as we go. Of course, I ship Quebec-wide as well. For Quebec-wide, it's another story. We have to insulate boxes, add ice packs, make sure it's the next day service. So all that needs coordination as well. And until you find a good website that gets you good quotes and good prices, you you lose a lot of money. <laughs> you lose a lot of packages on the go and Purelater or Globex or whoever has a delay and they can't ship it on time. So very challenging but it's all part of the fun i guess and you, you mentioned how this is the challenge of being an entrepreneur and if we look at your profile i mean you studied psychology at concordia university i think yeah so this is not the typical profile if i had to guess you know what will be the the career of this person only based on your studies, I would not think that you would become a vegan entrepreneur and distributing food around Montreal. So how did you get involved in this, uh, in the entrepreneurship world, starting with, you know, the, that restaurant with uh, your mom to yeah. where you are now? So while I was studying psychology, of course, psychology is a topic that I love very much. And I think Having learned psychology, it's helped me deal with people and it's helped me understand people better. So when I get comments of, you know, you guys have great customer service, I'm like, yes, psychology, <laughs> you know, like because you're able to see from the other side, see from the other person's perspective and really understand the person instead of just judging or whatever. Um, while I was studying, I was, of course, working as a first real job i was working at a call center and because i was very uh, how do you say like i'm very ambitious and i always want to go higher so quickly quickly i started going up in the ranks i was a team leader i was a trainer from the for the project so i saw that i love that aspect of working with people training people being in leadership positions um, after that, I went to work for my uncle's company. It's an IT company. And I went in as a project manager. And I had to deal with, of course, the company employees and quickly do the HR. When it's a family business, you start wearing a million hats. So that's where I learned how to multitask and how to wear different hats. You know, HR needs help. You have to wear the HR hat. 
you have to do, um, I don't know, grants and you have to do accounting and end of year, everything that needs to be done. You have to kind of figure it out and get it done because it was a small business as well at the time. And I saw that I absolutely love the business world. So I'm like, okay, forget psychology. Psychology helps <laughs> me get here. <laughs> it helps me deal with the employees and the customers. But I absolutely love the business world. And because I had, I guess, the leadership skills, I knew I had to do more. My mom's business at the time, of course, I mentioned that we were changing it and she needed help. So who was the best person to do that? Me. <laughs> <laughs> So I kind of joined her to do that. And I have to mention that I absolutely hate spending time in the kitchen and I hate cooking. <laughs> but I kind of was thrown at this and I took it upon myself to uh, make it successful. So here I am today. <laughs> That's kind of my journey. <laughs> well, she she was the one cooking, I think. Yes, the recipes are all my mom, so you guys don't have to worry. They're all delicious. I'm not the one who came up with them. <laughs> They are. I've tasted them. I was going to ask you about, you know, giving us tips for making good vegan food, but maybe you're the <laughs> wrong person. To I'm the wrong person for that. <laughs> but I mean, based on like the experience and working in the kitchen, of course, you pick up some stuff. But the most important thing to remember is that, you know, if you're not a vegan and you think, oh, my God, vegan food it must be so boring and so tasteless, that is not true. Because even if you are a meat eater or, you know, you buy chicken or meat or whatever you want to eat, before you marinate it and put spices and sauces it tastes nothing you know it doesn't taste good so it's the same concept it's just the protein the base that is changing so vegan food can be very tasty better than meat and chicken <laughs> I, i i agree with you i think this is such a, a good point i never met someone who ate you know raw meat and found it okay. actually Actually, the, no, I, I met one person, um, a friend of mine, and her and her father used to, you know, purchase like minced meat and yeah. eat it like without That's cooking it. Middle Eastern um, thing that they eat, but again, they do put spices on it. <laughs> well, she, she did not put any spices Nothing? on it. Nothing. It was. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> I think this is uh, an outlier situation here. Yeah, exactly. So you, you mentioned, um, you know, how veganism is tasty. Um, often people use um, the the plant based uh, label instead of the vegan label because, mm. well, veganism has also a social and political and cultural connotation that is not strictly, uh, you know, reserved to food and the world of cooking. Mm -hmm. So why did you make the choice of adopting the vegan label instead of maybe um, um, calling yourself 57 plant-based? Yeah, it was just simpler. I mean, you see it and you know that it's vegan. There's no questions asked. Recently, I saw someone had posted an item, I'm not going to mention what it is, but they had posted on one of the vegan groups that they had bought an item that had the plant-based um, symbol and it had a plant-based, I guess, mention on the packaging. But if you looked at the ingredients, it contained something with fish. Hmm. So um, I think 
either companies, some companies don't understand what plant-based is, or they're using it as a loophole to like pass their products to another population. I'm not sure why they would do that. But with me, there's no question. It's vegan. It's vegan. There's no animal products at all. Just keep it simple. I mean, it's vegan. <laughs> why would I call it anything else? Uh, I love that. And also, you won't name any product, but I will. There's a uh, um, Bessel, I think, the... the uh, oh, yeah sell butter and yeah um they often call their um one of their product uh plant-based um made of uh vegetable oil mm -hmm. but then you look in the description and there is milk and um i mentioned that because my parents bought me a, a box of, the, of that oh. uh, butter and you know they were they had good intentions and and all yeah. but then you look at the ingredients and you find that it's just bad marketing on their yeah. Uh, part. Yeah. Um, vegan, like I mentioned, has also a social um, a dimension to it. So mm -hmm. how do you relate to, to that dimension of veganism um, with your company, but also in your personal life? Yeah. So when we first opened, uh, well, when we first made our restaurant vegetarian and vegan, we had a lot of, old customers who used to come in and they would be like, why did you change? You're going to close down in no time. Uh, who eats vegan? Why would you even remove your meats from your menu? You know, so that was one issue. They would not uh, understand that there is a change coming and that it is better for their health. But also they used to ask us, like, for example, the falafel that is always vegan. It has always been vegan. There is no animal product in it whatsoever. But they used to come in and say, give me falafels, but not this vegan type, vegan thing that you're promoting, you know? But it's the same recipe. Mm. It's the same ingredients. It's chickpeas, fava beans, spices. There is absolutely nothing in it that is animal-based. But because we, we were certainly it was suddenly called 57 vegan, they thought that our... Menu changed and our ingredients changed and there's something um, tricky we're doing to make it a vegan recipe. Meanwhile, the only thing is that there is no animal products in it. Same thing with my grandpa. I always tell the story. He used to come and eat the shawarma sandwich for a very long time, thinking that it was meat, <laughs> even though our restaurant was vegan. Until one day, one of his friends told him that, you know, that's not meat, that's soy-based, blah, blah, blah. He stopped eating it and it's, it's, it's all in here. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with eating vegan or plant-based. The only thing is there are no animal products, but as soon as you say vegan, they understand that, I don't know, maybe there's some weird ingredients we're adding in it. Mm -hmm. I understand because a lot of the popular items that are vegan have a lot of like ingredients lists that are so long and the, the words you can't even pronounce. So people generally think that when it's vegan it's probably you know all those artificial ingredients that are in it but it's not true you just have to pay attention even with non-vegan products products that are you know animal based or cookies or whatever that contain milk you look at the ingredients list, you're going to see a lot of words that you can't even pronounce a lot of artificial flavors a lot of ingredients that aren't bad for you so anything you eat there is a risk of not eating something good for you look at the ingredients list 
But vegan does not mean that it's artificial. Vegan only means that there are no animal products in it. So that was something that we had to teach our customers, you know, educate. Um, of course, the customers who used to be eat meters and came to our restaurant again after we switched to vegan. So it took a while. <laughs> it was challenging, but um, uh, the result is good. You know, I had a lot of friends who, who are still not vegan, but who used to come to my restaurant and who used to eat the vegan silly cheese and who used to enjoy it and who still tell me, oh, Tomati, you know, we, we miss your restaurant. We miss your Philly cheese, but they still eat meat, but they were willing to, you know, once a week or twice a week switch to plant-based. And I think that's what we want. We want everybody to start reducing. Uh, it's, it's, it's good for the environment, for the animals, yes, but it's also good for their health. So, I completely agree. I mean, um, I, I was recently watching a speech of um, someone from the meat industry, and she was talking about how meat was good because there were no hormones in meat. And I was thinking, okay, but <laughs> <laughs> what about the antibiotics uh, for starters? I mean, uh, they're in their blood and in their flesh and uh, doesn't sound very yummy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, my parents, um, because of the Middle Eastern mentality, of course, it took a lot of time for me to, especially with my dad, to understand that we don't want to have dairy anymore and we don't want to have meat, red meat and for him, it's like, what is wrong with having that? Because back in time and back in, you know, even in Armenia or in Lebanon, you know, Middle Eastern countries as well, the meat industry hasn't or wasn't in their time like it is right now. Mm -hmm. Right now, we are feeding our animals such bad ingredients and trying to force them to reproduce in such short periods of times and giving them vitamins and I don't know what to keep them, you know, on their feet and to keep them from reproducing. So it's not the same thing. I try to explain that, you know, you think that meat in your time was was okay and people weren't getting sick or even in Armenia, they, it hasn't started yet to become so industrialized, let's say, for them to have the need to reproduce their animals so fast and so much. So maybe in their countries, the meat is better but here you can't compare it anymore. I mean, the amount of things that the animals have to eat and go through in order to be able to keep up with the demand, it's just, you shouldn't eat it, that's it. Well, I was going to ask you about um, the reaction of your um, family uh, to your uh, you know, vegan transition because yeah. you're from Armenia and I think most people are not very familiar with uh, Armenia, yeah. what is Armenia? And, and I was thinking about the discussion I had with a guest on uh, Serbia. And yeah. uh, that guest started uh, a sanctuary, an animal sanctuary in Serbia. And she was telling me about how people related so differently to animals uh, compared to uh, Western countries yeah. um, and her field of concentration or focus was uh, um uh, dogs and she was telling me that oh there you don't keep the dog inside the house uh, mm -hmm. the dogs stay outside and you don't really think about 
does the the dog uh, get cold outside or something yeah. like that? So it's a whole different mindset um, yeah. uh, related to animals. And I'm always curious of that uh, cultural difference. So can you tell us more about um, um, Armenia and um, also animal rights in Armenia? Um, so we have a lot of stray dogs in Armenia. I have no idea why, honestly, but we do. Uh, uh, when I went to Armenia, I guess it was maybe 2018. I don't remember, like a while ago. Uh, I had seen that during my trip, there was going to be a vegan festival in Armenia, wow. believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> it had just started. And I said, okay, I'm going to bring my 57 vegan t-shirt. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do a live so that the audience here in Quebec know that I'm in Armenia and that there's a vegan festival there. I was so excited and I went and there was like one table. <laughs> that was the festival. It was outside. There was one table and it was like a few people talking about veganism and oh. giving up. So it was just, just starting. Uh, when I went back again pre-pandemic, uh, there were cafes that were completely vegan. There were uh, in restaurants, the menus had vegan items. I remember my aunt, my aunt's been a vegan almost all her life. So when she used to go to Armenia and she used to ask for vegan food, they would be like, they would turn to her husband and go, what does she eat? How does she live? You know, because she wouldn't eat any animal products. And it was so foreign for them. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, I also sing. So I had gone to a couple of uh, singing lessons in Armenia. And I told uh, the vocal coach, I told him, he, he used to always tell me, Tamar, you're going you're gonna to eat meat, you're going to eat well, and that's how you're going to come sing, you know? And I'd be like, uh, I don't eat meat, actually, you know? And it was so foreign to him. He said, why don't you eat meat? You need your energy. If you don't eat meat, you're not going to have any energy to sing. So that's how it is. That's how it was. Now there are so many cafes. There are so many um items on menus everywhere you go in restaurants so it has evolved <laughs> anybody going to armenia who is vegan will have plenty of choices and i know that there are a lot of uh, animal rights um organizations i know one i follow she takes care of horses another one of dogs so yeah it's getting there it's getting there definitely i'm so happy to hear that yeah. and you, by the way, you have a beautiful voice in, you know, preparing for this episode. I found uh, some videos of you, oh, you know, singing goodness. in Armenian. And <laughs> Thank you. You're amazing. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ertalitzvi paragarun Tadragnasatsarorhavkun Oh, you've been going around sneaky sneaky. Um, I mean, I need to prepare for my guests. It's the least yeah, I can do when of they course. give me so generously of their time, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a bit curious about your end because... 
how did she become vegan? Did she tell you the story of her vegan food? She just never really enjoyed uh, mm. meat. So she was vegetarian most of her life. And then by reading and researching, she's very big on researching and, you know, natural ingredients and supplements and everything. So she just decided that, okay, vegan is the way to go. And I remember we were young and she used to come over to eat and we would just like, But what is she going to eat? You know, it was always a dilemma for my parents too. like, oh, she's coming over. So what can we cook so that she doesn't stay hungry? You know, she's not going to eat what we're having. So, yeah. So we were always we had her always to, to see what she was doing and learn from her. It's very kind uh, from them to to think about her and yeah. uh, her well-being. You know, I, I still think that half of my family believe that I just breathe air and drink water okay. and that's, <laughs> you know, that's my diet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They absolutely don't know what, uh, how I survive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I want to go back to um, entrepreneurship. Do you mm -hmm. believe that thinking about your background and uh, your family background, you're not the only entrepreneur in your family. You mentioned your uncle Do you think that there is something innate about um, being an entrepreneur, um, that there is a calling and that, you know, you need to have those innate qualities or that calling in order to become an entrepreneur? Or do you think that it's something accessible for everyone? Entrepreneurship is accessible to everyone, but whether you can be successful and whether you can keep up with all the challenges. I think those are skills that you can learn, but also you have to have a thick skin and you have to have at least, um, you have to like to lead and manage because a lot of people, you know, they they are put in management positions, but they can't do it. They, they don't know how to manage people and they don't enjoy it. So um, whether it's innate or not, I don't know. I guess the leadership part of it and being able to manage is you have to have it in you. Um, but skills are learned. A lot of things I learned on the job and uh, I wouldn't have learned otherwise, you know. So I guess. <laughs> and yeah, you make a pertinent point. Uh, and I guess maybe the alternative for people who are Uh, less comfortable with leading would be to find um, a business partner who could take care of that side of the business while you do uh, yours. Definitely. So when you have business partners, of course, it helps because then you have someone to rely on to go to for questions and when you need help. Also mentors. I, I know people are very big on mentors. For a very short period of time, I had an external mentor Um, and he helped a lot with questions I had. So I, I very much encourage people to go out there and meet people in their industry and, you know, talk to them. Oftentimes we think that if we go and bother, um, someone in business, then they won't want to help us, but we've all been through the same cycle. You know, we've, we've all been there. We have been through the challenges and we have had to go and find the answers and we've had to go and um, get mentors or help from other people in the business. So definitely don't shy away from trying to get the help. I was researching entrepreneurship and 
one of the first things that came up was uh, fear. Most people, I think, fear um, launching their business. They, they're not comfortable with the risk and they fear to, to fail. And I want to get a bit practical because this whole podcast is an invitation for vegans to do more. And maybe that looks like um, building your own vegan business. What would you say to someone who has a good idea, wants to launch their business, but is afraid and uh, that fear is stopping them from uh, pursuing their passion? We are all afraid. <laughs> We've been afraid since day one. And if you're not afraid, then it's not a big enough challenge. So definitely go out there and try. The worst thing is that you're going to fail. I mean, that's the worst that's going to happen. And you have to try. If it's something in you and if it's something that you've wanted or you still want, and you have to try. I mean, anything is in life is that way. If you don't try, you don't know. So the fear doesn't go away. Every day there's a new fear that adds up. I'm going to tell you that. Um Every day there's a new challenge. Every time you add a project, there's new challenges. Um, if you grow, there's new challenges. If you stay small, there's challenges. You know, you want to grow your team. You need more employees or you have to grow your demand. You need machines and nobody can make the machine you need. So you have to go figure out what an engineer. But it's good. It's fun. It keeps you alive. <laughs> So it, or else it would be boring. We would close after a while. <laughs> well, I, I get that feeling from you that you're pursuing the challenge and, uh, you know, the excitement of entrepreneurship. Yes, but it's not all, all uh, exciting. There's a lot of yelling and screaming and tears too, but it's all part of the process. So um, I'm not saying this to make anybody afraid of course you need to pursue your dreams that's why we're alive that's what's going to keep us alive you know uh if everybody didn't pursue their dreams we wouldn't have all these inventions and all these choices um things fail sure but you get up and you try something else that's the worst of it there's nothing else that's going to happen to you. you just fail and you try again in our journey you think we didn't fail we failed we've had products we've launched and it flopped and we said okay we're scrapping that project so let's let's try something else so sure it happens but you got to pursue it you have to try well i'm so glad that you you are sharing um this part of uh your entrepreneurial journey because when you look at big brands or brands you are familiar with you look at the success you look at Uh, how shiny it is and how yeah. uh, beautiful and, and all. And I guess you don't see the tears. You don't see yeah. the sweat. You don't see, you know, um, all the efforts and pain uh, of making that brand and uh, making that brain shine. Exactly. Um, you mentioned big brands. You know, there's so many big brands whose products we bring on Marche Saint-Concept only to find that after a year or even after a few months, they're discontinued. They just scrapped the project. So even big brands have that. Um, it's going to happen, but you just, they're, they're still making fortunes. They're still making other products. It's just one or two products that flopped. So it's going to happen. And, you know, you're, 
I want to also share, you know, that think about, I guess, your everyday life. And we all failed at some point. I guess entrepreneurship is the same as the rest of life. You know, it's not something uh, exceptional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, you chose um, uh, quite a uh, a particular niche, which is uh, veganism to to launch your business. Uh, If you were able to go back in in the past and talk with your past self, Mm -hmm. um, what would you have said to that uh, person, to that younger Tamar, um, on the challenges of uh, launching a vegan business uh, for a vegan clientele, but also, like you mentioned, people full um, um, an ever-growing number of meat eaters who are also interested in vegan food. Yeah. What would I tell myself? It's going to be hard, (laughs) but you're going to succeed. Yeah, it was a niche, of course, and we were like right at the beginning of the trend, I guess, especially in Laval. Um, But... What would I tell myself? Just trust. There was a lot of nights where we were, you know, or months where we were like, okay, we're just going to close down. We can't do this. This is too small. And if it was so small, the big brands wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't put vegan products on their shelves, on their on their catalogs. Um, I think every day there's more and more people who are understanding the benefits of at least switching to plant-based a couple of times a week and it's only going to grow. So trust yourself. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) And a vegan clientele is a committed and I feel like loyal clientele. I know that I go out of my way to go and seek vegan products um, that I like. And it, it is because partly I am, this is I'm making this uh, purchasing uh, uh, choice uh, out of convictions. It's not just a you know a transaction for me. I'm actually exactly. thinking about it as if I'm voting for more of that uh, in in my world. Mm. Yeah, they're a very loyal uh, customer base, and if we grew, it's because of our customers and word of mouth. So um, we are forever grateful to them, especially the ones who used to come to the restaurant because they're the ones who went out and started buying from the grocery stores before everybody else, you know, started learning about us. So the vegan community is a very interesting community. They are very um, committed, as you said. They are very caring for the environment and for the animals. And they take care of making sure that the vegan local businesses thrive and to make sure to spread the word about those businesses, for sure. Now, you you have said the word local a, a few times um, in, in this conversation, but I know you're ambitious. So what are your plans for the future? Do you want to expand uh, your brand to more than Quebec, more than uh, even Canada. Um, I know that there are. Uh, I, we have you know most of my listeners actually are from Canada, yes, but also from the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. and and Europe. So, 
when should they expect to see <laughs> uh, 57 vegan on their... That uh, would be amazing <laughs> if we got to the US and to Europe. That would be a dream, honestly. Um, because of the challenges of our um, short life products, for example, the sandwiches that only are good for seven days, their shelf life is seven days only. It's a little hard for me to ship uh, to Europe, especially. <laughs> But uh, right now, we need to move our kitchen. So that's the first challenge we're facing. We need to move everything by end of February. The second challenge is production. Everything is made by hand here. All the sandwiches are rolled by hand, filled by hand. The proteins are marinated, cooked. You know, it's it's one person doing that. So we are looking at uh, automation and machines so that we can we can start thinking about going into Ontario and going Canada wide why not um we have challenges with the machines of course we have challenges with space so it's coming and we would love to expand of course so i think the first step would be to go to Ontario <laughs> and then Canada wide and then for sure we would love to be in the US as well and of course, there will be links in the description for people, uh, even if you're in the US, you know, click on that link and get inspired by uh, what you have done. Um, yeah, in, in that space, I think it's, uh, it's worth it. Yeah. And just even to get yourself angry, if, if you're listening to this before lunch, <laughs> or dinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Tamar, uh, I think we have covered um, much of the uh, points I wanted uh, covered for this uh, conversation. Uh, did you have anything more to add before we, we stop the recording? I would just thank you for this invitation and for meeting me at the Vegan Festival. Um, I think you're doing a great job. I don't think there's enough podcasts about veganism. Um, or they start and they stop. I've been following the couple who started and then they stopped. So I wish you luck very much. And I hope that your audience grows so much and you're able to educate people and to um, advance veganism even more and reach a lot of people. Thank you, Tamara. This is uh this is the kind of compliments that I wanted to hear. <laughs> I, I like to hear. So thank you so much. Uh goes uh, straight to my heart. Um, so Tamar, thank you again for uh, having answered my question and um, having been a guest on this show. Um, it has been a pleasure and thank you so much for your work and your excellent product, um, which I, I absolutely love. They're delicious. So thank you so th much. Thank you for your hard work. All right. We'll speak soon, I hope. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you so much for being a friend of this show. As always, please share this episode with your community. Let's inspire more people to take action. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. Finally, you can always follow me on Instagram at Vegan Report Podcast. Thank you again for listening. Take care and see you soon.